there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Roger and Quentin battled it out in orbit over Moonraker. I still think that this is the best opening stunt sequence of any Bond film. I think the space stuff is silly as fuck. The dust has settled and the shuttle has landed, and now it's up to us to make the final verdict. Is Moonraker one of the best Bond films of all time, or is it the absolute bottom of the barrel worst? This movie is made for, like, a a specific age of kid to watch. and Yeah, what, 55? All of the facts have been submitted to the court that is the after show, and I have even more evidence up for debate. I'm your court case correspondent, Gala Avery, and I leave it to you, the viewers, to be the judge, jury, and executioner of Moonraker. Let's break it down. It was so much fun doing our very first live event for the Video Archives podcast. Quentin, Roger, a bunch of amazing listeners, and I all got together at Whammy Analog Media in Echo Park and watched Coking Cowboys on glorious VHS. After posting my pictures from the event, which you can see in our newsletter, a lot of fans wrote in to me and asked where they could get their very own Video Archives t-shirts. Well, I'm happy to report that now you can. Starting today, August 9th, you can get Video Archives merch at podswag.com. Our first drop of merch includes two t-shirts, one with a logo in white and one that's in faded gray, mugs, and a very stylish baseball cap that's perfect for summertime. And if you're like me and love putting stickers on just about everything, you'll be excited to hear that we have two high quality stickers. One is in black and white and one is in amazing color. So go ahead and check it out on podswag.com and make sure to send me pictures of you guys with your merch. Before we listen to the never before heard clips from the Moonraker episode, did you all have a chance to watch Delirium? The script takes a few left turns and you should not know the left turns before you see it. Yeah, that is... The charm of the movie. It is the charm of the movie. You think it's this, and then it's that. 
Delirium actor Baron Winchester, who plays the bald villain Eric Stem, was a standout character for Roger and Quentin. Winchester, who is a St. Louis local actor, was known for his work on the stage. But did you know that, according to the St. Louis Dispatch, he was an Emmy award-winning makeup artist? And don't blink twice while watching Escape from New York, you might miss his cameo as an extra in the film. Now, on to Moonraker. Let's take a look at the evidence. Exhibit A, the tone of the movie. Moonraker is known not only for taking 007 into space, but also for bringing him into comedy. Let's listen as Quentin and Roger discuss Bond's iconic one-liners, or as Quentin calls them, groaners. Okay, the the Bond's quips are so bad in this movie, are such groaners that like it almost seems intentional that they are supposed to be bad. Like they went out of their way to say like the worst one because they're not even jokes. They're not even they're they're just well, groaning bad. Change of heart. <laughs> I think he got the point. <laughs> Those are not such groaners, but I, I no. listen. I admit this movie is pushing the envelope a little. But when I look at it thematically and what it has to say and how relevant it is actually to everything that's going on right now and how, how you know, billionaires obsessed with space and abandoning the planet might, uh, you know, might think. And I compare it to the theme of For Your Eyes Only, which I think is just detente. Mm-hmm. I think that's the theme of that movie. A big debate coming up. Should Bond have gone to space earlier in the film? Let's hear Quentin and Roger duke it out. The format is also classic Bond. Like, the format is still there. Well, that's part of my big problem with the movie. Because it, without having the actual seen format. it, I was expecting it to get into space much sooner. Yeah. And not, that's not even a negative. But if I was expecting it to get into space much sooner, I was expecting it to be different. And I thought of what was different about it was going to be something I wasn't going to like. And then when I watched it, I go, no, this isn't different at all. This is exactly like a Roger Moore Bond film, but except everything is really cheesy and left-handed except for the space stuff until they get into space. Well, it's a little cheesy also in space. Well, it is a little cheesy. (laughs) But but they're not afraid of of, uh, having... But at least when it gets into space, the movie finally gets to be what it wants to be. All right, the whole... Ideas that get into space, and at least when they get into space, now they are they are fulfilling their purpose. But but one of the one of the things I love about this movie is that it's not just space. Like to get into space right away, then you don't get to have the like for instance the rules of the game moment. In the middle of this movie, you're at Versailles, and they do rules of the game, okay, and, well, they're, and they're suddenly doing the hunting party thing where they're just killing. Yeah, okay, 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 look, look. I wanted to like this movie, and you sold. You really did a good job selling it. <laughs> And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be the spoil sport that just like just, just pisses on it. But as it w- walked through the paces, it was so lackluster. It cared so little about the paces. And it was so blatant that I forgot how everything in Bond movies are set. OK, there's the meeting of Drax, the, the, the meeting of the big villain. Yes. OK, so that's set up. And that, that's not bad because, again, the Michael on sale is cool. Uh, then there's that moment, which is your, the, your, the rules of the gay moment, where uh, the, the fox hunt or the, the yeah, shooting the, shooting yeah, the, the birds, pheasant hunt, the, the pheasant, pheasant hunt. hunt, the pheasant hunt, you know, where where it's like the billionaires are just blowing everything yeah. that flies no, out no, of the no, sky. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just, God forbid, you know, <laughs> all the dead birds in this movie. Forget about it. I mean, right, right away, yeah. I, it's a statement that I'm behind. It's yeah, like, yeah. OK, yeah, here's the rich people. They're killing well, everything. A, well, it's a statement a lot of dead birds uh, <laughs> gave their life to make, uh, 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 you know, but that but that sequence is the whole thing where, you know, Bond 
plays the game that 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 the uh, the villain is the expert on and Bond shows his own expertise. Yeah. You know, playing the villain's game. Uh, and then the the travelogue aspect. Okay, we're going to randomly go to three countries for really no reason whatsoever, other than to just shoot Bond against the background. It's not I I think they did it so half-heartedly to me that it was like, oh, it became obvious. Oh, well, they have to go to Sweden. Then they have to go to... Here's here's the plot, the basic idea. The Moonraker is stolen. Mm -hmm. Bond knows that he's got to go meet Drax. He goes and meets Drax. Okay, Drax is obviously a villain. And yeah. Drax has obviously like stolen the thing, and he doesn't give he doesn't even give a fuck that James Bond is there. He just insults him. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just like <laughs> continuously insults him and like, oh, your, your country is this and your country is that. You you see right away the billionaire's disdain mm-hmm. for countries mm-hmm. and like all of this stuff and wants out of it. And then while he's there, he realizes that there's it's there's something to do with glass and Venice. Now, in those days, if you wanted to make like the finest quality glass, you had to go to Venice, Italy. Mm-hmm. That's where glass was done. So he, that leads him to Venice. And so we get a little travelogue of Venice. And then from there, it's like there's the export company. Everything's done in Brazil, which t- eventually takes us into the Amazon mm-hmm. where the temple is. Like to me, that's kind of a, there is a progression going on there. It's not so random or. Well, I didn't say, look, I didn't, no, I didn't say random. I said half-hearted. Or, <laughs> You know, that, look, well, the Venice thing I've always thought was really clever, the glass and the Venice thing. And the, and in fact, they've got that amazing fight sequence in the glass shop. Well, that, OK, that, that is OK. Aside from the opening sequence, that's the only action scene that I thought had any I, kind I think of. You've, the, I think you've now gone said four no, times. No, no, no. I didn't say. <laughs> no, 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 no. In a movie with mediocre to horrible action scenes. <laughs> That was one of the better ones. And, okay. But you have to admit, that's an action scene that's played for comedy, right? Like, because Immediately, yeah. it's basically, let's smash everything. Okay, that, like, like, that was kind of funny, all right? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 fact, the fact that they set, <laughs> the fact that they set up Drax's impossibly <laughs> austere uh, uh, museum yeah. collection and then have it all destroyed. Okay, that was kind of funny. Yeah. I, I, like, I, I, I will admit. That's the only action scene that had the right kind of uh, Jean de Vivre. All right. uh, uh, yeah. Up next... Let's hear what Quentin and Roger think about the much-talked-about gondola chase scene. And, as a treat, Quentin gives you his Clarence Darrow-like argument on animal double-takes. But it is null and void by the horrible gondola chase, which is a new low in the series for comic chases. It has some clumsy moments. It is terrible. It's clumsy. (laughs) It's terrible. It's a screenwriter scene that wasn't fully realized. It is. (laughs) As good as the opening sequence is. It's like a beach party with the chase scenes in beach party movies. We even mentioned it. There's that old guy on the beach who might as well be Buster Keaton doing his doing his pratfalls during the beach party chase scenes. Not only that, it has three reaction shots of animals. Yeah, they have a, right, a pigeon that blinks. Watching Bond go by and doing double takes. 
any movie that cuts to reaction shots of animals doing comic double takes can never be taken seriously under any circumstances. There's three of them. Okay, maybe it's not meant to be taken seriously. Maybe it's meant to have no, a mean, fun a film, time at the movies. As a film. <laughs> it's a movie. As a film. <laughs> okay. it's, it's moving guitar picks is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Exhibit B, Hugo Drax. What would James Bond be without his evil counterpart? One of the most relatable Bond villains. Let's listen as Quentin and Roger break down his evil plan. Later on in the movie, when they're in space and Michael Lonsdale is giving his, his he's gathered up everybody. He's gotten all the beautiful people from the world. We're going to... Well, look, admittedly, Drax has the most diabolical plan. Yeah, we're going to kill right. well, We're going to kill everyone. everybody on Earth. We're going to ruin the human race and then we're going to go back and, and repopulate it. And more than that, you will be able to look up into the heavens and know that there is true law No, above. that's cool, yeah. He's going to stay up there. No, I mean, that's actually that's actually even kind of similar to uh, uh, like fucking Jeff Bezos. He's going to stay up there with like a with a poison well, uh, canister sim- to throw down on. If you if things get out of hand on Earth, I'll still be up here. Well, it's similar to uh, whatchamacallit, uh, um, Vincent Price in the Jules Verne movie, The uh, uh, Master of the World. Totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he's up there. He's in the the, the killer blimp. Yeah. And uh, I will, you know, you, you if if you commit war, I will destroy you. Yeah. Oh, and and well, and Michael Lonsdale is playing him as like almost like a pseudo Captain Nemo. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He he has this because the Vincent Price character is basically Captain Nemo of the air. Yeah, he, and he's basically Captain Nemo in space. Uh, I love when he. I mean, the, tells, the name of this the name of the space station should be the Nautilus. Yeah, it should be. It, or well, actually, you said it. The space station itself should have been the should have been named Moonraker. Why are these little shuttles named Moon? No, the space station is yeah, what's impressive. That should have actually been the Moonraker of the title. An actor makes a character. Quentin sheds some light on actor Michael Lonsdale with a personal story about when Lonsdale accepted his Cesar. The one last thing I, <laughs> I want to talk about about the movie is just Michael Lonsdale himself, because one of the things that's very funny. See, in France, he's he's considered one of their great. Oh, he's a great actor. Actors. He's yeah. considered one of their great uh, movie actors. However, when he does international productions where he speaks English. If you know him only from his English language movies, which I only know him from his English language movies, he's this like cheesy yeah. B movie actor. Ha- hammy, hammy. He's hammy, cheesy B movie actor who specializes in giving exposition. Yeah. Uh, now, I will have to say, I was once in a room with Michael Lonsay. I didn't meet him, I don't think. Uh, but I was at the. Uh, Cesar ceremony mm. in 2008 when he won the Cesar for best supporting actor, his only Cesar. And it was a really special moment because he had never won one before. And he walked up to the stage and he's holding the Cesar in his hand and goes, ah, how long I've waited for you. Hmm. Ah, ah, my old friend, I finally found you. I finally have you. <laughs> and he had this whole little moment of him never getting a Cesar, and now it's finally happened. In 2008, he's finally won his first Cesar. And it was a, that was a really special moment. And even without having seen Moonraker... It looked like Hugo Drax up there. <laughs> Just from seeing the trailer, all right? It looked like Hugo Drax is up there. Ha ha, I found you. <laughs> 
he's fantastic. <laughs> he's, a, he's reason enough. He, like, I mean, he should have played Balak in, in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He would have been know? fantastic. Yeah, exactly. He Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. And for our final discussion of the night, Exhibit C, Jaws. The only thing better than a villain is a henchman, especially when he makes his return. Jaws experiences a shift in tone between the spy who loved me and Moonraker, from baddie to goodie. Roger has his legally blonde moment as he defends Richard Keels' Jaws. Listen, you're going to scream when you hear what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> You're going to scream and you're going to like guffaw, the biggest guffaw you've ever done. But I rewatched a bit of the movie yesterday. Mm -hmm. I cried at the moment Jaws spoke. I actually was crying at that moment. You're scaring me because there's nothing but silence. There's like a dead <laughs> silence. It's worse than a guffaw. <laughs> but let me just let me just explain it. There's a moment in the carnival scene, like it's carnival, everybody's dressed up in costumes, they're dancing around, there's topless women, like, you know, uh, dancing, it's like carnival. Roger is like doing the dance. I'm actually talking. doing the dance right now. He's doing the, <laughs> doing the carnival. Uh, the carnival dance. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, and, and I have to topless say. Topless girl dance. Also, there was a, a little thrill for me too, because, uh, you know, when the, he arrives in Rio and he turns to go into his apartment, he's driving into Leme, and I, I can see my dad's apartment. No, in, no, that's in the pretty shop. cool. That was pretty cool. And that was really cool really cool for me so it's like oh my god like it's like uh, so so I, there's like a lot of things in this movie that are like easter eggs for me that i just love well one of them is that scene in the alley when um the brazilian agent mm -hmm. the, of the brazilian secret service or whatever yeah. they are uh is there and she's waiting for bond while he's investigating the empty warehouse and carnival's going on in the background and then like there's this shot that's like a horror movie or something where you see this kind of tall clown it's like 15 foot clown walking down the I admit, I admit that was kind of creepy and, it, and and it's a number of creepy tonal moments where Lewis Gilbert is like you know like that scene with the dogs chasing that woman through the forest where it feels like the omen mm -hmm. to me and like this fantastic like almost giallo horror movie sequence this was yeah. another moment like that this is <laughs> I know you love giallo <laughs> you just keep mentioning these moments that like are better than awful and then like, like no, but just, this magnificent moment of the dog chase <laughs> well it's it, one of the few moments that's like not stupid I wouldn't say it's magnificent <laughs> it's magnificent I loved it I loved the music in it I love that like that it ends with her death that Bond is just going through this film haphazardly. He's not even directly killing people as much as he's accidentally killing people through this movie. He's accidentally gassing a bunch of guys to death in that one thing. It's an accident. Sorry, guys. He, you know, will accidentally kill people right and left throughout this. I think it's really funny. But Jaws grabs her in the alley. He mm -hmm. takes off the, the clown uh, head and 
And in this kind of creepy moment, he grabs her and he's like reaching and he's about to bite her jugular vein. And then suddenly a bunch of revelers come out of a shop and they're like, yeah, and they start dancing. And they surround him, kind of surround us and they move him away. And he's like kind of struggling with them as they carry him away from Bond and the girl. And then at a certain moment, he just kind of gives up and starts dancing with them. And this is like a really important character moment regarding Jaws. This is actually the moment, I think, of Jaws, because... All Jaws wants is to be kind of accepted as normal. He's like, wants to be like everybody else. He's there to kill. He's a contract killer. He's there to kill them. He could just push his way through those people. He's super strong, but he gets carried along with the crowd and they're dancing with them. They're partying with they're, Jaws. Well, yeah, they seem, to, they seem to like him. Yeah, they seem to like him. And he starts and he's like, I'm going to start dancing with them. And he just goes with it and goes off and does carnival until the next time we see Jaws. Okay. No. Okay, but you can't say all that without talking about the ridiculousness of Roger Moore and then the Brazilian girl seem to have like a scene in the alley where they talk, and Jaws is just clearly in the background boogieing. <laughs> yeah, he's still being carried. Well, that's because at that point he's one of the. It's practically the disco moment. All right, been, from all the uh, he's been taken uh, in by a group of partiers. <laughs> And I mean, he's actually he's actually if welcome. People, if the people had just got out of the alley and he wasn't just obviously there in the background as Bond and the Brazilian agent have a tete-a-tete. Yeah. <laughs> I could have gone with it. But just constantly seeing him out of focus in the alley, just towering over everybody. Fun fact. The only actor to reprise a villainous character in a Bond film since Jaws is Jesper Christensen. Christensen plays Mr. White in 2006's Casino Royale, 2008's Quantum of Solace, and 2015's Spectre. Note, not a single one of these movies was at Video Archives. And then you add on top of that, Jaws, ruining every sequence he comes in. They're all played like comedy set pieces with Richard Keel, not a comedian. Everything is all set up for him to do comic set pieces and he does not pull them off. Leading to the point when he actually talks, well, it's one, Jaws, we never knew Jaws could talk. Then he talks and guess what? He doesn't sound like Jaws. He sounds like Richard Keel. But that's if Ted Cassidy. That's why it works. That, that would be like if Ted Cassidy <laughs> is playing Lurch and never doesn't talk, but doesn't do the Lurch voice. He does the Ted Cat. I mean, it just actually shows what a, vastly superior actor Ted Cassidy is to Richard Keel okay. in every way, shape, and form. That that may be the case. That may be the case. Look, there's something, <laughs> it is the case. <laughs> there's something about the Jaws character, though, in this that, like the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, which I wasn't prepared for when I first saw Return of the Jedi. They're cramming them down our throat and up our ass. I, Clyde, the orangutan, in every which way but loose, is used <laughs> with... More care than Jaws is in, in Moonraker. Can we move on from Moonraker now, or do you have one last thought? I think we can move on, other than the fact that when he kicks Richard Keel in the balls, we hear a metallic clang. Mm -hmm. And so it's clear, and he kind of looks at Jaws like kind of funny, kind of askew. <laughs> and Jaws kind of shrugs a little bit. <laughs> Clyde the orangutan, or best henchman ever? You decide. My personal favorite Bond henchman is Nick Knack, played by Hervé Villachez in The Man with the Golden Gun. But Jaws is a close runner-up. What do you guys think? And now, time for our closing argument. And actually, why do you see a Bond movie? I guess that's what I would close on. 
why do you see a Bond movie? For what elements do you go to see a Bond movie for? I mean, this movie for me actually is delivering all of that. It's giving me like a fun time. I'm not really like taking it too seriously. It's like a comic book. And it's like a Bond comic book. And it's giving me all those moments that I want. It's giving me the great opening. It's giving me the the that John Barry music. It's giving, you know, that I love. It's, it's got that fantastic uh boat sequence with the you know in uh, the amazon where the boat turns into a a hang glider like (laughs) there's there are clumsy moments in this film no doubt but there's also like i think a director who's sort of like it's my third one i'm not doing another i'm rushed i'm gonna go for it yeah his movie after this is educating rita (laughs) Well, he's a British director. He yeah, produced yeah. it. It's like yeah. a... And by the way, Educating Rito, it's like a British production that was released by what? Paramount? Uh, or uh, released by a studio. Uh, Columbia, actually. Columbia. It was released by a big studio, so... Oh, well, no, 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 no. It, well, all these Bond guys did their own things in between times. Yeah. And these... It's just funny how when you're a journeyman, mm-hmm. you go from Bond to Ed- Educating you know, Like Rita. a famous play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, and, and I, that really says something about... This kind of filmmaker, this sort of workman, uh, craftsman type of filmmaker. Well, okay. The biggest compliment I can give Moonraker, Moonraker might be a better Bond film than this is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think people should like maybe be a little less cynical in their lives (laughs) and open their hearts Okay. And watch okay. Just movies enough. that are <laughs> enough with your bullshit. Enough with the case is closed. Are you Team Quentin or Team Roger? Go to our Twitter page at Video Archives to cast the final verdict on Moonraker. Before we sign out, here's a fun clip of Quentin and Roger reminiscing about their old friend Bishop and Roger's funny license plates. Oh, Roger, I meant to tell you. Okay, remember I, I was telling you ad nauseum the, the story of that Joan Collins movie, Homework? Yeah. About these kids? You know who the lead guy of the movie is? It's not who he is. I told you they, they don't look like actors. But you know who he reminds me of? Who? That guy, Bishop, from Video Arc. <laughs> so imagine a movie starring Bishop. <laughs> oh, Bishop. Oh, Bishop. Yeah, I'm totally committed. <laughs> I think the only thing you're totally committed to is <laughs> parking your car in a way I can't get out of here. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. The one fucking guy who actually figures out what you're at. <laughs> and the only thing you seem to be totally committed to is <laughs> trapping me in my parking space. <laughs> the only guy who could figure out my the license The only plate. guy who figures out what is weird, personalized license plate, which means totally yeah, committed. I had a license plate that said, that was like... T O T C M T is that possible? T D no. yeah because it was seven letters in, yeah yeah five six seven yeah so it was like that and people would be like <laughs> what the fuck is that total shit? commander <laughs> t- 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 because like, that was going to be Roger's first big screenplay yeah. all right about the South Bay and surfers it might end up being my last uh, yeah, great yeah. screenplay <laughs> but the only person to ever be able to decipher the license plate. <laughs> Is the guy Roger trapped into a parking spot? <laughs> and then he leaves a note on the thing. The only thing you seem to be totally committed to is trapping me in my parking space. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I heard about like the girls that came up and were like, uh, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, no, no, it means totally committed. And they're like, no, that was, was that the worm turns? <laughs>
Didn't you have a license plate also? Yeah, I had, I had one from this other movie, Worm Turns, and it was like these guys drove up next to me and goes, hey, we're trying to figure out what you're li-, like on the freeway on the 405. Yeah. Trying to figure out what your license plate means. Is it uh, um, Worm Transmission? And I, and I said, no, it's Worm Turns. And he was like, <laughs> and then just slowed down. <laughs> slowed down to get away from me. <laughs> Warm transmission? Warm tra- no. <laughs> you need to write a movie called Warm Transmission. <laughs> That's all for today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning into the Video Archives After Show. Have a burning question you want the answers to? Make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on the After Show. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new films. Want to know ahead of time what we're watching? Here are some clues for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first movie was originally 210 minutes, but was cut down by the studio to an hour and a half. The next movie was directed by a man who also directed a sequel to a Kubrick film. And the last movie is an Italian film that features coffee as a central theme. My name is Gala Avery, signing out. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 